0: So, hello and welcome to Startup 107 Podcast. My name is Sumit Bartil and in today's episode I'm joined by Susan O'Brien. Susan is a founder of Hail Mary which is a leading plant-based snacks company based out of Dallas, Texas. Susan, first of all, thank you so much for your time and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi Sumit, thank you. It's fun to be here with you.
0: Awesome, so tell us a bit more about yourself, Susan.
1: Well, I am a happily married mother of three amazing children who have recently flown the coop so we are empty nesters and they are all off in college studying film and and entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and so uh, the entrepreneurship vein runs through the family uh, DNA Um, and I started Hail Mary around 13 years ago here in our home we're at work recording this today okay and I have a design degree and was a practicing designer for 15 some years. And towards the end of my design career, I designed clinical laboratories, and, um, which was quite interesting. I, I met with pathologists on a daily basis and helped them design where they would put their fume hoods, their, you know, all their technical equipment. Um, it's fascinating for me. Um, and I, I found myself uh, after giving birth to our first child um, really not wanting to go back into the world of architecture and working for an architecture firm. So I decided to follow my passion, which was food. And I had in um, healing foods and how foods can actually alter the make, you know, the, the the chemistry of your brain and your gut and your health. And it's all super fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I trained as a raw food chef with uh, a gentleman by the name of Giuliano Brotman out of Santa Monica, who at the time and still is really the godfather of the raw food movement. Um, Brilliant character. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also was inspired by a woman named Renee Liu, who also had written uh, several books at the time um, on raw foods. And um, she really, uh, you know, energized me around the, the recipe book that she wrote, which for the first time, it was a recipe book. And I had immersed myself in all kinds of cooking and I'm from the South, you know, from Houston. And it was very different growing up than the way we think about it today. As it you know, as a healing modality, you know, the, in your food, um, but she she wrote a, a a recipe book that had that described all of the ingredients and how they actually can help heal the body. And to me, that was so fascinating. So the big takeaway after uh, training as a raw food chef was that these um, these desserts that the raw food community and in the yoga community, which I was a big part of, um, had this luxurious mouthfeel and it celebrated fats. Okay. And at the time, I mean, I can remember before I gave birth, and even before we were married, we used to count fat grams, you know, daily intake of fat grams. And we used to be afraid of fat. And so reading books by Udo Erasmus, um, Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, um, learning about the benefits of coconut oil and the benefits of raw. Uh, Mono and fats from raw nuts rather than roasted nuts um, was was uh, a big you know, aha moment for me. Um, this was back in um, you know the early '90s. So raw food was just raw food was not a thing in Texas. Nobody knew what, really what raw food was. It was a thing on the West Coast and a thing on the East Coast. Um, and so I set up to um, to craft these recipes that I had learned. Through uh, uh, Matthew Kinney, who's uh, just a champion of the plant-based movement. He now has many cooking uh, schools throughout the world, really. He's a genius and a friend. And he had these beautiful recipes that I made and would give to our kids um, at the carnival, you know, our kids' carnival parents and things. And it really resonated, resonated for me in a big way. And um, so, I decided. You know, if Lara of Lara Bar can do it, then so can I. My husband and I. My husband wrote the business plan for us, and we um, started making the food. I, I, I gainfully, uh, you know, employed the nanny that was helping us raise our babies um, to be the chef and to make all the product, while mm-hmm. I went out and sold it. And, um, and so back in those days, demos were everything. So the challenge today for a lot of companies is that, you know, you can't do demos. The live demos are really hard. I mean, there are farmers markets now that I would um, actively um, tell any new CPG uh, startup to um, really actively pursue. Um, and I think that the retailers will let you do demos now more um, but it, you know, it really did launch our business. Um, I was doing, you know, putting up, donning a hairnet every weekend, every weekend for a year or two, um, doing demos. We finally moved out of the home cabana and I uh, partnered with two women who helped, who helped me, right? I mean, I'm a designer. I mean, you you have a civil engineering degree, um, doesn't necessarily teach you how to run, you know, the the ebitda and the books and all of that. I didn't have that skill set. I don't claim to really. I'm a creative person. I'm a designer, so I needed to surround myself with women who were smarter than I was in the way in the in the way of business and mainly um, my my really dear friend and partner Allison Brushaber, who was a food scientist because back in the day, I mean, raw food was a very unknown kind of scary thing. And we would go to meet I remember the meeting distinctly with our then CEO at the time Sarah Chapin, and having to explain to them how we, we are putting measures in place to keep the product safe, right so that it could travel a distance and get on a distributor's truck on for UNFI and go and live in San Francisco or live in Atlanta or live in you know different places around the country. Does it have the stability Um, to keep us safe. I mean, first do no harm, right? The creed um, Hmm. that usually is applied to the medical industry, but you have to apply it also to to food and making safe food. Um, Once we kind of nailed down that IP um, with the designing of our products, um, we were kind of off to the races and, and the product was really well received. And we did really well starting out and and mainly because we worked our asses off um, demoing the product and getting our food into people's mouths. Um, Because once they taste it, they, you know, they they can't believe how luxurious um, the products taste um, with only having five ingredients, right? I mean, our, our, one of our, you know, most famous recipes, the dark chocolate tart, the almond butter cup or the almond butter tart have five ingredients. Um, so there's a little bit of magic, right? I mean, Matthew Kinney was a great inspiration for me. And um, so that's kind of, you know, that kind of gives you a little bit of background of, you know, uh, taking a designer and putting her into a CPG business without having any experience. Um, my husband has a, 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 a master's in marketing so we're a good team. He's he's he uh, is now the chairman and CEO of Hail Mary. Okay. So he's been yes he's been a he's been a, the best partner ever, and mm-hmm. we've had we uh, I was saying that at 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 that time de- we dehydrated our food. We still do. At the time, there were no co-packers, as you call them, right? Co-manufacturers where you can go and somebody can make your food for you. Nobody was using dehydrators at a scale like we were creating food. Um, nobody was using dehydrators the way we were using dehydrators. Dehydrators were in some raw food kitchen. Um, nobody you know, had them at that kind of scale. Um, so we had to uh, build our own kitchen. Okay. Um, we were doing things that nobody else were doing at the time. Um, Whole Foods uh, provided us a loan so that we mm-hmm. could buy a piece of equipment. It's called a VMEG. Um and that was super generous. It changed, like it was a game changer for us. One of our, the nanny that I mentioned earlier, she used to hand scoop all the macaroons with a, a melon baller. And she was getting carpal tunnel syndrome, which was terrible. And um, and you can you just can only keep up for so long. So this this piece of equipment was a game changer for us and allowed us to, to um, expand distribution, leave Texas and move into Colorado, which was the first, the first uh, state and the first region outside of the Whole Foods region in Texas where we we expanded um, but uh, yeah, so we had to you know we were kind of inventing inventing you know and you know someone said to me uh, last week, you know there are some companies that build the airplane while it's in flight. <laughs> we certainly have been guilty of that, right um, you know, it's, you know, you're just flying and you're going and, you know, you're trying to keep the door closed at the same time and not let the wings fall off and, um, you're just flying. Right. Um, we, you know, I I will say that, um, we, we, we need, we should have had a lot more discipline on how fast we grew, um, Mm -hmm. because it consumed a lot of capital. Um, Mm -hmm. and it, um, we weren't able to, you know, those demos that I described earlier that really launched us in, te- in Texas and gave us the kind of turns that, turns at the shelf, that's what, you know, that's how we speak in CPG, the world of CPG data, collecting turns at the shelf a week, case per week, right? Those okay. kind of turns were so fantastic, it caught the attention of all the other regional buyers of Whole Foods. And we did not have, we did not have the discipline to say no. And um, and you just can't go from one region to four, you know, in a matter of two years and expect or more really expect to support them with those demos that I mentioned earlier. Right. And, you know, they want that same kind of, you know, attention. They want Mm -hmm. the same level of detail with the demos. They want the same uh, care and support. And um, we were just not not prepared to do that. And um, we were still selling in those regions, but I would warn anyone, uh, you know, Hail Mary has, has enjoyed um, the ability to walk into a retailer meeting and have a great product, have great ingredients, stand for something, have a brand that represents girl power and female empowerment. And Mm -hmm. we were sort of the OG before, with that right before me too okay um and so we got a lot of yeses from retailers when we should have been you know mining the retailers that we had um Mm. and so um you know lots of learning
0: absolutely thank you so much for sharing all of these learnings which you had over the years susan but one of the questions i wanted to ask you is uh, in the initial time what kept you going and what drove you to, you know, take up this challenge and to make it a success?
1: Well, I, you know, I think every entrepreneur has something unique in their DNA that makes them have this unique drive to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it, does it come from some childhood thing? Is it my relationship with my parents? Is it, you know, I, I just have always um, been a super driven person um, and uh you know i I was super driven when I would practice yoga um, you know I just kind of dive in and um, I really found something that was unique, and I thought that it was a a, a real opportunity um, to to do something and to be a part of something great and to show my children that, um, you know, th- how to work hard and, and create something. And uh, of course, and, and the fact that I'm married to a serial entrepreneur, um, we kind of, you know, wake up, eat, drink and sleep entrepreneurial behavior, you know, 24 seven. So yeah. I'm, I'm sort of married to that, so you kind of combine kind of the best of both—a uh, serial entrepreneur with a, a pretty highly focused and driven individual—as myself, um, and you know it's it's fun. It's it's fun. It's just frankly fun. Um, not every day is fun. I mean, I've had a lot of a uh, lot of ups and downs, as all entrepreneurs do. We have come out of a uh, you know a, a period where we grew, as we mentioned. Um, and expanded in ways that did not make sense for the business. And okay. um, like and so we had to, when I, I said we had to back up to get some runway, we had to we had to exit some some accounts that were poorly uh, engineered, if you will, because we' you have an engineering degree. They were poorly um, designed in their pricing structure. In their promotional structure, in um, in the in the case packs uh, setup, you know, we're a a um, a startup where we're excuse me, we're a fresh product, and um, our case packs were frankly too big. I mean, advice that I could have, uh, uh, you know, really um, advice I really lacked. I wish I had better advice about how big to make our case packs. Because uh, this is, I just gave some advice to a, a girl who's starting up with this really unique um, falafel uh, mm-hmm. burger. Uh, great product, great frozen product, and her case packs were like thirty or something. And okay. um, and she's just brand new, just selling into a farmer's gate. And I wish that I I told her, oh my gosh, you have to you have to change your case pack. Like, don't be more than six. <laughs> Go to, the, go to the shelf, go look at your friends or who you admire on the shelf where you want to sit next to them and see what their case pack sizes are. Go to the retailer who's stocking the shelves, make him your buddy or her your buddy and understand how big those case packs are because our case packs were way too big. What might be appropriate in size in a fresh environment, right? So we're talking about a refrigerated environment. What might be appropriate in a, a natural food store like Whole Foods is not going to be appropriate on the shelf at Safeway or at Kroger, where you don't have the foot traffic um, and you have a, a wide variety of consumers, you know, not necessarily as targeted as our, our target consumer. Um, mm-hmm. So we had to, and so we were experiencing spoils. So by the time our product would land in Seattle, you know, it might only have a week left on its shelf life. And then it, there's 24 units and it has to sit on the shelf, but all 24 have to go through in a week. Okay. So all that comes back to you in, in the way of spoils and um, managing your distributor chargebacks. Mm-hmm. Is not something we were doing well at all, and for years we didn't at all. Um, so let that be a warning. Um, in the world of CPG, uh, your distributors will charge you back for anything and everything they can whenever they can. They get up every morning and think about ways they can find you, and um, and I don't say that lightly. It's true. So um, you know when we were building the business. You know, we had to build the kitchen. That was monumental. We had to sell the product and market the product. That was the easy part. That was the fun part, is selling it and marketing it. That was a blast. Then, then you have to run the books, right? You got to manage your margins, manage your pricing, making sure your pricing structure doesn't collapse on you. Mm-hmm. And if you get too aggressive with going out into the marketplace and you're not mining your pricing structure, it can collapse on you. And then you got to rethink everything. So that is, you know, managing your margins, because we're working with premium ingredients. Mm-hmm. So our margins are thin. Um, and not, not every time, you know, sales, t- tons of sales don't always solve problems. People like to say that, oh, you know, a ton of sales can solve a lot of problems. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, they just don't, right? You have to have everything working you have to have product working the factory has to work it has to make quality product you have to nail the marketing you have to nail nail the sales and you have to have a really smart cfo and um they all have to work in unison you can't you know focus on we 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 spent a lot of time because that's where all the fun was marketing and sales because we were winning and we were killing it right and um and then you can you can also uh, CPG uh, people can um, can fall prey to venture capitalists who mm-hmm. can come in, and uh, the game is grow top line sales at all costs. So that in three years they can flip, um, and you know that that is a tired tired playbook. Mm-hmm. And I warn anyone and anyone. Uh, who is considering taking venture capital to um, really think hard about the partners that you bring along the way, you know, patient capital, um, capital that uh, is not uh, all about growth, um, Mm -hmm. but the right kind of growth and being super, super careful. And, you know, I mean, a, a Costco strategy can, can, can uh, destroy your pricing architecture if you don't do it right. So once again, we've had to back up to get more runway. We've had to rethink. Um, and we're real, we're, you know, we had to have a price increase. Um, and we're we're gaining back that margin. And we, have, we always deserved to charge more for our product, right? I mean, you can Frito-Lay, I hate to say it, but you can quote-unquote, Frito-Lay a business by -hmm. just giving, you know, having three for five sales and uh, driving revenue through, you know, just sheer velocity Mm -hmm. and hoping at the end that somebody else will figure all that out later down the road. It's a horrible strategy.
0: Absolutely. I think uh, some of the interactions which I had with a few of the CPG brand owners, Susan, one thing which was common across all of those is uh, they all mentioned that you require a lot of capital to get something off the ground in CPG industry and to have enough money for, you know, marketing and branding and to keep, to keep things going. Uh, what would be your advice to someone who's just starting out? One should bootstrap it by themselves or should one seek funding in advance?
1: You should definitely bootstrap it as long mm. as you possibly can. I have a dear friend who owns a a clothing business that's taking off and doing really well. And again, she's not an overnight success either. She's been doing it for a long time, but she's recently sort of hit her stride and she's killing it and doing really, really well. And she's still, you know, bootstrapping it, you know, margins, margins and clothes are great. I'll, I'll put that out as a caveat. That's great. Right. Um, But she's doing really well and she's bootstrapping. So I would definitely say that. She wants to grow and she wants to expand. and She's considering taking on capital because she has perfected this model mm-hmm. that she could then take that blueprint and put it in another city and um, hmm. another college campus. She has this brand around college campus, Cook, K O C H, for anybody okay. who's interested. Um, and I, I, you know, we, I, we've, we've chatted many times about when is it right for her to take capital. Now, it's good. I mean, it's good to take in capital. It allows you to grow. I mean, growth is where you get, you make more money. So, I mean, growth is good. Um, our original partner, partner at, Steve and I, my husband, who I've mentioned, he and I funded the business in the beginning. And then okay. we brought on capital through my husband's business partner. And he is the kind of partner you want to find. He's the partner that is patient. He's the partner that is like family and is family, frankly, right? I mean, he technically is, we don't share DNA, DNA, but he is, he has that long view. He loves us. He wants us to be successful when we're 60 and 70 and 80, and he wants our family to be successful. So mm-hmm. he's patient. He again is, continues to be our partner and continues to invest. And, he, you know, he's always been there for us in this patient way, wanting us to grow in a smart way. So to conclude on that, to finalize that, that question, line of questioning, um, yes, I believe in capital. I think it's important. And I think that um, finding patient capital is uh, where you want to land. And if if it doesn't feel right, it doesn't, you know, feel like patient capital, there's all kinds of questions you can ask about that um, to make sure you're partnering with people that want to be around for the long haul. Uh,
0: That makes sense, Susan. But uh, branding plays an important role in CPG industry. Uh, Would love if you could tell us about how you came up with the name.
1: Sure, I'd love to. Um, So... At the time, I was uh, noodling around, if you will, with a yellow sketch pad, uh, what the names would be. Um, our children played chess, and we would go to chess tournaments every weekend. Uh, we would go to state chess tournaments. We would go, and they're kind of, uh, I've never been much of a golfer. Um, I know it's a great sport. And people love it. But uh, it's kind of slow. <laughs> and, uh Chess is real slow and no one can talk and everybody's in a big room in a hotel. No one can talk. And you're there for hours. So I was, I was super inspired by the game of chess and the queen and the power that she holds on the board to be the most creative on the board. She has the ultimate ability to move in any way she wants to. So She has this unique power that in our society, females don't typically have. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was this uh, you know, female empowerment sort of vibe that I was pulling and gathering as a mother of chess players. And so, and then as a designer, mm-hmm. um, uh, Alexander Gerard is a, a well-known folk artist designer who has a museum in Santa Fe where we were married and where my business partner, Allison lives, the food oh, scientist my favorite one of my favorite museums in the country Uh, it's a folk art museum and he was a designer for knoll textiles Mm -hmm. Um, and he just a fascinating lovely designer and i loved all of his folk art and so he has this line of folk art these dolls Mm. that kind of reminded me of the chess piece the female empowerment chess piece and so our original brand icon was a queen um, it looked like a, a chess piece, a queen as a chess piece. So okay. the name Hail Mary, I'm a, a yogi, a um, uh, I, I, uh, fairly spiritual person. Uh, I love to meditate, journal, all that woo-woo stuff. I'm hook, line, and sinker for all that. Uh, fully admit. And um, so, so Hail Mary for me was a, a female expression of empowerment. So I said, you know, we were kind of the OG uh, of of female empowerment brands. And like our food, I think our food continues to resonate because of the intrinsic value that comes with just having clean ingredients that can benefit the body. And I always felt that I have this fascination with self-fulfilling names, you know, like Madonna right? Self-fulfilling name. And then a woman named Madonna, I mean, she's going to do, she's going to do something, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Jobs, right? Uh, Quite arguably the greatest job creator in the world, Um, last name Jobs. So the name Hail Mary was uh, sort of inspiring to me that, you know, it it keeps me kind of grounded in goodness and grounded in staying focused and um, offering good and goodness and Um, Honoring Mother Nature and honoring the planet.
0: That's inspiring, Susan. That's a great story.
1: Thank (laughs) you. You know, like you say, you have to go to the well every day. If you're going to go to the well every day and climb a mountain, a little mini mountain every day, uh, you got to tap into the well of inspiration. And for me, that that female, uh, you know, that female um, intuition uh, is where I go for my. That's my will, if you will. Uh,
0: That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that, Susan. But um, spirituality is an important part of your life. How much has it played a role into your success with Hail Mary?
1: Yes, it had. It has. Um, You know, when we built uh, Sarah, Allison, and Steve O, uh, Mm -hmm. my husband, we built our kitchen. Um, We have, you know, had these beautiful workers there. Um, and, you know, work is noble and work is hard. Some, mm-hmm. you know, and hourly workers are challenged, you know, sometimes just to find a way to get to work, you know, Absolutely. Um, and learning their stories, um, learning about their hardships, right? Mm-hmm. And um, learning about how difficult it is sometimes just to be employed. You know, I, I am an educated woman. I'm mm-hmm. lucky, right? For me, finding a job right out of college, I'm lucky that I got to go to college. Mm-hmm. Finding a job outside of college, even though it was during the a, a stock market crash in 1987, I found, mm-hmm. I found a job working for an architecture firm. It's not that easy for everybody. Um, and it uh, I met when I was doing a demo, I was in... Uh, California, and I did a demo, and 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 I met this nun, who we became good friends, and okay. she, they call her the Nun Nun with a Nikon, okay. and she she goes to the border town in McAllen, where my family were farmers. Okay. I come from a family. I come from a family of farmers. Down in McAllen, in McAllen, Texas, which is a border town, and from uh, East Texas here near close to Dallas. Okay. um she she uh she counsels with women um who have been trafficked okay. she she speaks a lot to um she she ministers to women who have been trafficked uh mm-hmm. in California and in in Texas and she would come to the to the kitchen she would bless the workers at the kitchen she would um Uh, she's just this light this being that i and she's so brave i mean she's just you know frankly i mean how often do you meet a badass nun who goes to the border towns and these super you know terrifying dangerous places and Mm -hmm. ministers to women and children and to me she embodies just you know like it's hard to build a kitchen and hard to grow a business but i can't even imagine like the the fortitude and uh, the strength that she has to minister and find the right words to comfort someone. And so uh, so human trafficking ha- had uh, become our cause at, at Hail Mary. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and back when we had, you know, we were, were so uh, inspired by these stories that we were hearing, you know, nobody was really talking about human trafficking. I mean, 10 years ago, nobody knew the statistics. You know, there's over 400 children in Dallas every night who are trafficked. That's staggering. Right. That's staggering in Dallas, Texas. So the the magnitude and it's such a, um, you know, it's such a, you know, for lack of a better term, it's just, it's kind of that, that underbelly of the, of our society that nobody wants to talk about, you know, it's just dirty and shameful and, uh, it's real, it's happening. And I applaud, uh, you know, uh, there's an organization here, which we support new friends, new life. I, I applaud the work that they do and all the organizations that are, are working really hard. And what I love about it, it's a bipartisan, um, effort in many ways, you know, very few, uh, bipartisan efforts in our, uh, divided nation uh, it's one that we all can come together to support because um you know it's it's uh, it's ugly
0: uh susan i really appreciate you sharing that you know i think uh, it's the greatest thing one can ever do and in comparison to you know those challenges and those efforts um, what we do is is nothing in comparison to that so i really appreciate you sharing that Uh, But one final question, Susan, for you is uh, what's your vision for Hell Mary?
1: Well, uh, you and I chatted before we started the podcast about, you know, the name of your podcast is called Startup. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wanted to let you, I was like, I I want you to know that we're a 13-year-old company. (laughs) We're not exactly a startup. Although I feel at times that I'm starting all over again in some respects um, Mm -hmm. because there's, you know, just, as, just after you climb one, there's a taller one. And, you know, I don't care if you're Mark Zuckerberg or Susan O'Brien, like there's going to be another mountain to climb. So, you know, I, I, I hear people, uh, Scott Galloway, I'm, I'm actually signed up for his, um, his it's called, it's a startup uh, sprint. It's a business sprint class. It starts this week. I discovered it on Pivot, the podcast Pivot, my favorite podcast. Uh, he's an NYU marketing professor, and he himself uh, has become wildly successful. He's been on Bill Maher, and uh, really his podcast with, uh, on Pivot with Kara Swisher is what brought, has brought him to be so famous recently. But he even he said earlier this week on a podcast that he's a 20-year overnight success because of Kara Swisher. So mm-hmm. I would like to think that um, Hail Mary still has that overnight success story in her, and maybe it's a 14-year overnight success story, a 15-year, 20-year overnight success story. Great mm-hmm. brands and trend value that mm-hmm. are here to stay, have a great, great passion, great founding, a great story, obviously a great product rooted in a vision around health and wellness and Ours, frankly, is
0: around raw fats. Uh, with that, Susan, thank you so much for being here on the podcast and sharing your story. I truly appreciate your time and I wish you the very best for Hail mary
1: Thank you. It was such a delight to be with you, Summit. Thank you. It was super fun.